We'll be in the Gospel of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 9, that's where we will uh, eventually get to in a moment. Uh, we, uh, in our Bible reading plan, would have read a large chunk of Luke this morning. I'd like to spend a little time uh, just talking about that uh, in a moment. Uh, we have, uh, we have a, a diverse and wonderful uh, congregation here in, in age. Uh, we uh, I was this this week. I spent a little time uh, with the preschoolers. We went to a farm down in Mentone, and the minister asked me about our church, and I got to tell him all about you guys. I, I said all of the good stuff, you know, uh, but he said, "So is it a smaller congregation?" I was like, "Ah, we're doing pretty well." And and I said, "Are you guys all older?" And I was like, "No, we we're, we have young and old. We have uh, from under a year all the way to." Uh, how old is Lowell? 96? Am I making that up? It's 90, 95. I'm pushing them along a little bit. But uh, uh, we have uh, a diverse in age congregation. I think that's an incredible blessing. Uh, for the first time in uh, ever in the history of the church, a preacher gets to stand before a congregation and preach to five generations at one time. That's an incredible thing. And we have uh, we have kids uh, in our congregation who know nothing about uh, about a time of their life without electricity or technology or uh, indoor plumbing. Uh, and there are folks uh, who uh, probably, when they were young, had to go out back. In fact, they might still go out back. You never know. Old habits die hard. But uh, you know, just the diversity of what they've experienced. Uh, we have a few members still with us of the greatest generation. And they were the greatest generation. You guys, kids, I want you to hear me on this, all right? Brady, Jaden, Oliver, Peyton, whoever else, the stragglers out there, Samuel. There's a generation of people that are called the greatest generation. Do you know why? You know why there's a group of people that are they're really old now, but they're called the greatest generation. Do you, want it? Do you know why, Sam? Well, that's true. I like that answer. That's a good answer. I uh, wasn't anticipating that well-thought answer, but I like it. Uh, so if you didn't hear, Sam, they went from having no cars to putting a man on the moon, and that is incredibly impressive. And you want to know why they were able to do something like that, Sam? Is because there was this inner value that every person knew and understood, and it was this thing called self-sacrifice. There was this willingness to say that I'm willing to do without so that others can uh, achieve what is necessary. And it happened because of a terrible event that happened uh, called World War II. And when, uh, when World War II happened, the nation came together because there was this incredible enemy that they had to defeat. And in order for them to do that, the whole nation had to rise together. And so uh, the political leaders, they were getting it right, and they said, you're going to have to do without so that our boys across on the other side of the world, they will have what they need. And so because everybody was like, yeah, we have to win this, and we have to do what we can to support uh, all of the people who are giving their lives, there was this common sense of self-sacrifice, this willingness to give. And that's what made them the greatest generation. The greatest generation was so great because they were willing to give so much. Something happened, though, around the 1950s 
where uh, it's after the war. And have you guys ever heard Oliver Payton? Have you guys ever heard of the baby boomers? Have you ever heard of that before? No, the baby boomers, well, the war was over, and so it was party time, all right? And so then everybody's like, let's have babies. There's peace in the world. I think that's how it went down. I'm sorry, there'll be a lot of explaining to do later on after Sunday. You're welcome, parents. Um, I do what I can here. Uh, and so, so the baby, baby boomers, and the baby boomers were brought up, and there were so many kids uh, that you guys had to fight for everything that you wanted. It was a lot of parents probably saying no to you when you were growing up, or people telling you no because there just wasn't maybe enough resources for you to go around. And so that sort of developed a lot of different things. And then when you baby boomers started having babies, which I am a, a child of baby boomers, I was never told no. And look at how great I turned out. The, uh, uh, I was spanked twice, um, and I only got my mouth rinsed out with soap one time, uh, which I can tell you that story, not from the pulpit. And so, uh, anyways, for a word I completely made up, but anyways, uh, I, for, I forget what I'm talking about. Okay. And so the world, as it's progressed, there are things going on culturally. So the idea uh, before the 1950s of self-sacrifice and the value of self-sacrifice is eventually replaced by a different worldview and ideal system. What ends up happening through a convergence of a multitude of things and stories and happenings is uh, we start valuing uh, three different things. And I will uh, talk about those. It's self-preservation, self-reliance, and self-satisfaction. Self-satisfaction being the chief thing among that. That the worldview of our day, from 1950 and onward, the prevailing worldview and value system we have is that your life has ultimate meaning and purpose when you are most satisfied in it. No longer in a world pre-1950 where it was the value system of the people was self-sacrifice, now the ultimate chief aim of your life is self-satisfaction. And we ask it this way, are you happy? Are you satisfied in your life? We might even rephrase it a little bit. We'll say, are you living your life on purpose? And if you're not living your life on purpose, then ultimately, what's wrong? You're not living a satisfied life. What happened in 1950 that this became the prevailing attitude that would invade our culture and invade our world and how we think about the world today? I'll tell you what it is, what I think it is. It's manufacturing and it's advertisement. Suddenly in our world, we are able to create more things than we could ever possibly need. We are really good at making stuff. And then suddenly it's like we have all of this stuff, but the demand isn't there. And so advertisement starts taking over and saying, we need to communicate to people their need for all of these things. And so life becomes a constant pursuit of self-satisfaction. Do you have what you need so that you can be happy? Oh, you don't have this latest and greatest shiny new object that will make your life simpler, better, and will, uh, you know, and will come to you and three easy payments of $9.95, but if you call now, you can get it for $8.95. 
can't pass up those deals in life. And if you're going to get it, if you're going to get it, then for that fleeting moment, you will have self-satisfaction. Am I out to lunch, or does that make sense? And so then we have this prevailing attitude in our culture and our world where when we think about what makes us truly happy, the furthest thing from our mind is that we would find true purpose and meaning in self-sacrifice. Why should I have to give something up for me to be happy? Think about that and the effect that it can have on Christianity. And I want to table, and I talked about Christianity last week, I want to table it for right now, and I want to just talk about American religion. This is American religion. Not Christianity. American religion is self-reliance, self-satisfaction, and self-preservation. What do, we, what, what do we do every day but think about how do we protect our life? How do we preserve and protect our life? And we go through incredible means to make sure that our life is preserved in just the way we want it. We cover up the wrinkles. We spend large amounts of money on getting healthy. We do all kinds of crazy things to sort of preserve our life, to prolong our life, do the very best we can. We think about self-reliance. When's the last time you've asked your neighbor for an egg? Well, hey, the Boyer-Stichter family, they got it figured out. We can just all move next to them. All right, perhaps you're living next to family, and that works, but for me, I don't know that I could walk next door and ask for an egg. I want to, and I try and help in ways so that I can. But my point being, and I'm glad there's people actually being neighborly. You guys ruined my sermon. But would you agree that there is an increased sense of self-reliance and independence? And that if there is a weakness in ourselves, we, we view it as a weakness in ourselves if we're reliant upon anyone else. We've put up fences and we've built longer driveways and we've taken away front porches to decrease our sense of community and isolate ourselves and say we are our own people and we're free to live our own way in our own self-reliant, self-preserving, self-satisfied way. When this becomes the chief aim of your life, it becomes a complete and total rejection, hear me on this, of the gospel that Jesus preached. When we look, when we look at our culture and if you, have an, if you have a sense that what you are called to do on this earth is to uh, live a self-satisfied life, you will never truly find the life Jesus is calling you to. The troubling thing to me, and I'm going to spend a moment ranting about something, and this is just one of my soapboxes, and it's planned in the material that I wrote. It's not a sidebar. I promise, is well-intended preachers have taken, well, I think, I don't know if they're well-intended. I take that back. 
But preachers have taken this sense among all of us that our life pursuit is about self-satisfaction and they've sort of um, put this cloak of self-help onto Christianity. Jesus becomes for you a means to make you happy. Why did Jesus die on the cross for you? Oh, because your sins were getting in the way. And now, now that your sins are out of the way, you can be happy. It's not the reason why Jesus died on the cross for you. We take passages like Philippians 4.13, and it becomes this sort of rallying cry for self-help Christianity. I can do all things through Christ becomes this mantra of people who want to be self-reliant. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength becomes a, uh, a sort of crying of this is how I will persevere and how I will preserve my life because Christ gives me the strength to do so. I can find ultimate satisfaction in achieving all of my goals because Christ gives me the strength to do it. Scripture after Scripture, I can read through the lens of self-reliance, self-preservation, and self-satisfaction. And I can look at you and I can say to you in Jeremiah 29 that God has, he knows His plans for you. And He has plans to prosper you and make you grow. And they can take each and every one and cherry-pick the Scriptures and they can convince you that this whole reason why Christianity exists is so that you can be deeply satisfied with your life. And they get away with it. And they have really big churches. And I'm thinking about going there. I was being harsh, so I had to throw in humor so I could live with myself. We look at Scripture, and we can cherry-pick it, or we can try and listen as best as we can. What does Jesus really say our life is about? How do we really follow Jesus? Oh, if he would just tell us. What's the point of our Christianity? How do we truly follow Jesus? That's what Christianity is. It's about following Christ. He tells us. This is how you follow him. In Luke chapter 9, in verse 23 we'll pick up then he said to them all whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will save it What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father of the Holy and of the Holy Angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Friends, this this is Jesus calling us back to a worldview that built a nation but it's calling us back to a worldview that is building a kingdom. And it's a kingdom that is built upon self-sacrifice, about emptying ourselves and pouring ourselves out. If you are going to follow Christ, you are to deny yourselves and you are to take up your crosses and follow Him. And He says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to save their life 
And here it is. To me, that sounds an awful lot like self-preservation, self-reliance, and self-satisfaction. If you want to, I don't know if you exegete the passage, if it'll come out in three little tidy points from the preacher. But friends, how do you go about saving your life? How many different ways in, in any given week are you thinking about strategically about how to preserve your life and make sure that it's, that it's uh, safe and intact and everything's in order? And how many things are you trying to control and how many outcomes are you trying to get just right? How many times have you been self-reliant, not wanting to bother anyone, trying to be your own independent self? Friends, think about your life. And has it been all about finding your absolute purpose so that you can live a deeply satisfying life? One of my favorite stories is the story of Phil Vischer. Phil Vischer is the creator of VeggieTales, the uh, the greatest Christian media ever created. And Phil Vischer was convinced that he was going to be the Christian Walt Disney. His whole thinking was, I am going to create create a Christian media empire, and my Mickey Mouse is going to be Bob the Tomato. This was his hopes and dreams. And things were looking that direction. His uh, big idea productions was growing rapidly. And convinced, and he had this vision that his purpose in life was to be this great, amazing creator of this, of this Christian media. And he was going to change the world through Christian media. One vegetable and I think a penguin is his second iteration at a time. It turns out that that wasn't God's plans. Uh, in the, I forget the time frame, but he... Uh, they created Jonah, the VeggieTales, like full-length featured movie. And that movie was going to get them out of financial problems. And he was, uh, he was hopeful that this would uh, take care of all of these issues that were in front of him. And the movie didn't do near the sales that were necessary. He was also in the midst of litigation, and he was uh, being sued for some, uh, for some technology things that he was doing. And he was not in the wrong. He was, he, I, according to him, and he's a righteous man, and so I trust that he wasn't in the wrong. And he, he said in his story, you can read his uh, biography, Me, Myself, and Bob. Uh, the story is in that book. Uh, he says, I sat in the middle of the courtroom and I prayed to God that surely this wouldn't, you know, that he wouldn't be found guilty, that they wouldn't, award the plaintiff and they wouldn't you know take away his company that surely this was god's purpose for him and that god wanted him to be the christian walt disney and he lost the case and he lost everything and he still has to do the voices for bob and larry he uh his voice went with them but he no longer has control of big idea productions And so he spent a long time questioning God and wondering, I thought you had this purpose for my life. I thought you wanted me to do these things. And then he picked up the story of Genesis 
and he was reading about this guy named Noah. You know how long Noah was faithful? How long he trusted in God? 400 years. And it was that story and that simple revelation that changed Phil Vischer's life. And he realized that the purpose of life is to be faithful. That it wasn't about all of these things that we make it out to be. Living this deeply satisfying life. For him, the picture of his life was that for him, the only way to live a satisfied life in God was that if he was doing these great, amazing things and living his life on purpose. God took all of that away from him. And he realized this simple and important truth for his life. It's about faithfulness. It's about obedience. We lost a Christian hero this last week by the name of Eugene Peterson. He wrote an incredible amount of books, one of them titled A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That that is a life of a Christian. It's a long, faithful obedience following Jesus Christ. Every day, waking up and thinking, how am I going to lay my life down? How am I going to take up the cross? How am I going to live a self-sacrificial life for the sake of the kingdom of God? If we're going to follow Jesus, it's not about finding your greatest purpose. I'm doing this for right now. I think this is what he wants me to do. And if he tells me to do something else, I hope that I don't hold up Jordan's ideals of thinking I'm going to be a megachurch pastor one day. I don't have those ideals. I'm not that good of a preacher. I get it. I too much ADD. You know, I get off track. And uh, the uh, what was I talking about? I was making a joke there. But if Jesus says, I need to change professions, I need to be willing to do that. Life is not found in finding a deeply self-satisfying life. It is not true when the Scripture points to us and says over and over again that it's a denial of self and it's a pursuit of Christ and following Him every day. I want you to think about the last few funerals you've been to. And I want to ask you a simple question. For me, Funerals are the most introspective time because it's a reminder that all of the self-preservation I want to do for myself, there's an inevitable thing for my own life. But I want to take time at funerals and I want to think about my life and I want to think about the person and their impact on my life and I want to think about what difference they made in my life. And was there a difference in my life because they were thinking about self-preservation, self-reliance, and self-satisfaction? Or did their life deeply impact mine because of self-sacrifice? And I'm willing to wager my entire life on this, that the people who make the biggest difference in your life are the people who give the most. Are the people who are selfless 
and who are taking up their crosses daily and following Jesus Christ. And it's their love that's poured out for you that makes the deepest impacts and the greatest changes. They're the ones whose lives matter. Jesus says, those folks that spend their lives trying to gain for themselves life and they lose their soul in the process. Friends, the Gospel says to self-reliance that we can't do it on our own. We need Christ. The Gospel says to self-preservation you can do all you can and try as hard as you want. You can cryogenically freeze yourself. I don't know that I'm going to do that, but you can go to such incredible lengths to try and preserve your life or you can trust in the one who's risen from the grave. And you can trust and you can think that the pursuit of your life is trying to find the most satisfying thing and you will never find it until you taste of the living bread of Jesus Christ. Friends, the gospel has much to say to us about how we live our lives and it says abundantly over and over again that if we are going to pursue Jesus, we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. Who is it that Jesus says God will lift up but the humble? Humble, loving, patient servants of Jesus Christ. That's who you're called to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We truly love you. And we confess that more times than not, we try to save our own lives. We try to save ourselves in so many little ways that just display a total lack of trust in you. God, when we fall on hard times, we turn often not to you, but to credit cards, we turn to maybe other means, God. And you give us a family to love us and care for us. God, when we fall short in our life and we sin, we think that we can somehow pull ourselves out. We know, God, that we can't be self-reliant in our righteousness that our righteousness comes only from you through your Son, Jesus. And God, in all of the efforts to preserve our life and all of our efforts to make our life satisfying and fulfilling, God, sometimes we just attach your name to it and we run after it. God, I'd ask that you would forgive us. You'd help us to listen. Listen to you and what what you would want us to do. God, that the purpose of our life would not be a pursuit of happiness, but a pursuit of holiness. God, we, for so many times, we make you the means to the end. God, you need to be what we are pursuing every day. And so, God, we repent. We repent of trying to make a life on our own. 
and trying to save ourselves. And we thank you that Jesus saves. We thank you for Christ and the cross and the resurrection from the dead and the ascension to the throne. May his words echo in our hearts this week and the days forward and this day, God, that we would deny ourselves. We would take up our cross and we would follow you and when we're tested, God, we wouldn't be ashamed of who you are but we would profess, profess clearly Jesus as Lord and King. That it would not only be displayed in our, uh, uh, said from our lips, but displayed in our lives. That Jesus is Lord. We turn to you and we yield this to you, God, that you would be at work in our lives. That you would speak to us today. How have we been turning from you? How have we been walking away from you, God? Lead us back. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. The worship team comes forward. I was reflecting on Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy, he went and sold it and sold all he had, and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, he sold everything he had, and he bought it. I also reflected on on Philippians 3 and the testimony of Paul. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We are all called heavenward in Christ. Press on by by laying down your life for Him. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow King Jesus.
Let's stand and sing. Are you hurt?